in your Bibles, if you own a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, let me know and I'll, I'd like to buy you a Bible. Uh, in your Bibles, uh, there's a story uh, there. It's in three of the Gospels, three out of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And uh, Matthew, you can find it in Matthew 19, you can find it in Mark 10, and you can find it in Luke 18. And in the header, on your, in your Bible, on the, in the header of your Bible, it says, rich, young, ruler. And you ever, you ever, you're probably growing up in church, you probably, like, rich, young, ruler. Like, this guy had the trifecta of what we want, isn't it? Is it? I mean, think about it. Rich, don't you want to, I mean, that's nice, isn't it? Wouldn't it be nice? Young, young, and in charge. Like, this, I mean, to talk about, like, rich, young, and in charge. Like, this is what we, this is, I mean, if you, we feel like if we can get this, rich, young, ruler, like, I, you're going to be happy in life. But there's something about this guy, if you read the story, he was rich, he was young, he was in charge, but there was something about this guy that was missing. There was something in his life, and he even says, uh, talks about in the story how, you know, he had morals. He even talks about how he was religious, you know, he, Jesus threw at him about six commandments, and he says, yeah, I, you know, six out of the ten commandments, he says, yeah, I, I, I do those, I follow those, you know? So he was religious, he was moral, he was rich, he had anything that you could think of, everything that you could want, rich, he was young, you know, boy, wouldn't it be nice to be young again, you know? I mean, just the, you know, you're not injuring yourself while you're sleeping, you know? I know I say that a lot, but it just, just happens, you know? He was in charge, you know, he was the boss. Isn't that something that, you know, we all would like to strive for, especially when we're, if we are young, like, well, I'm young and I'm not rich, or, you know, I'm rich and I'm not young, and, but, you know, and I'm rich and I'm, I'm in charge, but I'm not young. So a lot of us maybe have like one out of the three, or maybe if at the most two out of the three, but it's very unusual to have all three. But this guy had all three, but there was something missing. And he comes to Jesus and says, you seem like you've got the answer to the thing that's missing, the thing that isn't really satisfying me in my life. Yeah, I'm rich. Yeah, I'm young. And yeah, I'm in charge. But there's something in my life that's missing. There's something that isn't bringing me happiness. There's something that isn't bringing me fulfillment. There's something in my life that I, I seem to be falling short, that I thought that if I just had everything that this world could offer, that that would make me happy. I thought that if I could, you know, continue having my youthfulness and, you know, and, and, and the energy level of, of youthfulness, man, I, that would make me happy. I thought that, man, if I was the boss, if I was in charge, that if I was overseeing, you know, this big organization or this big corporation and I was the CEO or the COO or whatever that may be for you in your world, I thought that that was what would make me fulfilled and yet he wasn't. He wasn't. And I think that's all of true for us, isn't it? I mean, I think that for all of us, if we thought that we could just attain these things, and so, you know, we strive for, and it's, it's me as well, and it's all of us, I think that we strive for, I mean, we think that the next paycheck is going to make us happy, or maybe the next purchase is going to make us happy. 
Maybe it's the nicer house or the bigger, you know, the bigger house or the nicer car or the, you know, the, the, the latest and greatest, coolest technology or the most fashionable clothing, that those are the things that are going to, if I just purchase this, if I get that technology, if, if I can wear that, if I can afford that, and if I could buy that and live in that, that that's what's going to bring me happiness. But the rich young ruler didn't work for him. And I think that if you've lived long enough and you've pursued those things, you've realized in your life, just as I've realized in my life, that those things don't really bring happiness. Maybe it's the next relationship. You think that if I find, you know, Mr. Right or Mrs. Perfect or, you know, and if I find the one that's going to meet my needs or, or the one who's going to understand me, that that's going to bring me happiness. But I hate to break it to you, relationships have more to do with understanding what humility looks like and what selflessness needs to look like. I don't know if you know this or not about relationships, but you're better off learning the lesson of selflessness than you are learning the lesson of how you can get what you get out of relationship. And if you're looking for what you can get out of relationship and how somebody can meet your needs, I feel bad for the person that you're in relationship with because that's not going to make for a very good relationship. Boy, I'm coming out full blazes right now, ain't I? Hold on, let me holster this for a second. Let me put this away. I don't know what it is for you. It's the next paycheck. It's the next purchase. It's the next relationship. It's the next physical enhancement, maybe, that is for you. If I had a slimmer waist, I would be happy. If I had tighter glutes, I would be happy. I said that in church. If I had bigger biceps, then then that's when I'll be happy happy. Uh-uh-uh. Nope. My wife and I have the beach body on demand, and it is not making me happier. <laughs> You're like, no, he doesn't have... I do. I have it. It's not working. I got to apply it, though. You have to apply that. You know that, right? You have to actually... It's not... You don't just buy it. You have to actually use it. Like... You know that, right? You get the membership just because you have the card doesn't mean that you're going to be in shape. You got to go. You got to apply it. These are also biblical principles. You can own a Bible, but if you don't apply the Bible, it won't work. Come on. Come on. I don't know about you, but this rich, young ruler said there's something missing. And Jesus said, I got one thing for you. I got one thing. Yeah, you got six commandments, but I got one thing you need to do. And this man, just tell, I'm telling you, I'm t- Jesus, man, when it comes to Jesus, it is always less complicated. It is always less complicated. He says, I got this one thing that you need to do. And he tells the rich young ruler, and this was specifically for the rich young ruler. This doesn't mean this is specifically for you, but this was specifically for this guy. When you read the scripture, you got to know that he's, they're writing an account of a story that happened for a particular person. And Jesus was talking to this particular young, rich ruler. And he said, hey, listen. One thing I have for you, you need to sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. 
Now, Jesus is always less complicated, but you know what he is also? He's always more demanding. He's less complicated, but he's more demanding. And over the next five weeks, there's going to be five things. And I'm telling you, it is going to be less complicated. Aren't you glad that you don't have to learn 613 things or even 10 things? Jesus says, I've got these five things where all of the 613 things, all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament writings will hang on these five things. For Jesus, it's always less complicated, but you need to know this. It's always more demanding. It's more demanding. One time Jesus was with his three of his disciples, James and John and Peter. And he was with his disciples. He says, guys, I want you to go with me to this mountain. We're going to go up to this mountain and, and uh, I'm going to allow you to see something that's going to be absolutely incredible. So they go up to this mountain and Jesus and the, and the three of his disciples are up there. And Jesus begins turning all like in white. Like, like Mark records this. It's so amazing. Mark says that he was, he was so white. His, his garments were so white that no earthly launderer could have done that. Like that's the way that Mark described it. Like no laundry machine or any launderer on earth could have made his garments as white as he was. And Jesus takes on, it's called the Mount, it was the story in the Bible is the transfiguration. Jesus transformed into his heavenly being, his, his deity being. And in that moment, there was two other men that appeared. One, according to all three of the gospels, one was Moses and the other one was Elijah. And Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. And, and if you're a Jew, that's what, you call, that's what they call the Old Testament. They don't call it the Old Testament because they're still living in the Testament. If, you're, if they're non-believing, non-Christ-following Jews, they, still, they call it the law, and they call it the prophets. Well, Moses made up the, the representation of the law, and Elijah made up as a representation of the prophets. And there they were in Moses and Elijah. Elijah and Jesus, and by the way, Moses has been dead for hundreds of years. Elijah has been gone. He didn't die. He just went into heaven in a chariot of fire, and he now is now have reappeared. So now the three of them are there, and Peter's going, whoa, this is a moment right now. I mean, to express to you the magnitude of that moment for Peter, James, and John, I can't do it justice, but for them in that moment, they're there's Moses, and there's Elijah, and there's Jesus glorified, and Peter goes, we need to build a tabernacle for all three of them. In other words, we need to worship Moses and Jesus and Elijah, and, 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 and while Peter is talking, look what it says in Matthew 17 in the story of verse five, while he was still speaking, Peter was saying, we need to build a tabernacle. A bright cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, Moses, great man, did amazing things. I used him in a mighty way, but he's 
done. Elijah did incredible things for me, did awesome for me, just, just impacted you know, the work of God for me, but he's done who I want you to focus in now, Peter, James, John, the church, as I want you to focus in on one person. His name is Jesus, and whatever he says to you, listen Amen. to him. Listen to him. This is the Father in heaven overshadowing them. And the story goes on and says that Peter and James and John fell out of fear, fell to their faces to the ground. And Jesus, once the cloud ascended, Jesus walks up to them and says, boys, get up. Don't be afraid. Let's go. I love that. Why should we listen to him? Why should you listen to him? I'll tell you why. Because life is better following Jesus. And following Jesus makes you better at life. You need to know that. The reason why we do what we do, the reason why we gather, the reason why I stand up here and yell at you and pull my gun out and start firing shots at you, you know, the reason why I do that, because here's what I know, here's what I know personally, and here's what I know could happen for you, and here's what many of you already know in this room, that life is better following Jesus, and following Jesus makes you better at life. God Almighty came down from heaven and said, you just need to listen to him. Why you need to listen to him? Because following him makes you better at life, and it makes your life better. It does. It makes your life better. Now, in Matthew 28, and this is where I want to sort of hang out for the next few minutes. In Matthew 28, this is what is normally where um, somebody like myself would get up and say, uh, Matthew 28, this is what we ought to do as a church, and this is what you ought to do as a Christian, and, and, and this is all true. And this is normally the, the, you know, the context of Matthew 28, um, what you know as, if you're a Christian, as the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission. Now, this is typically uh, around the idea of evangelism, about being a witness, which ultimately, we should, right? Ultimately, that's what we should be. But I want us to look at it in a little bit of a different point of view. I want us to look at it in a little bit of a different lens, okay, this morning. I want us to look at it as, as to why we follow Jesus and why we should listen to him, why you should consider over the next five weeks of coming back and, and listening and letting Jesus speak into your life and letting him show you why, you know, if you follow him, you'll be better at life and he'll make your life better. Why, you know, the rich young ruler decided that he couldn't follow Jesus because he thought that being rich and being young and being in charge was, was the answer, but it really wasn't. And I just want you to know this. I want you to understand that this is why we should listen to him. But I want to, through Matthew 28, or through the Great Commission, I want us to come around that for a few minutes this morning as sort of the launch into the next five weeks of what those five commandments are, okay? Does that sound okay? All right? So I want us to look at them, and you can look at them as an evangelistic point of view. You can, but I want us to look at as to what somebody 
was thinking when they commissioned, they were commissioned to lead you to Christ, okay? Because I think for the most part, everyone in this room, someone grabbed a hold of the Great Commission and went to you and shared Jesus to you because they believed that Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. I believe that. You're here because somebody did that for you, right? Can you think of the person in your life that came to you and said, you should give church a try or you should give a relationship with Jesus a try is because they took this commission that Jesus gave before he ascended. So you gotta remember Jesus died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and on the day three, he rose from the grave, he appeared to his disciples on a handful of times, a number of times, appeared to other random people at different places, to other women, and then here, I believe, is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 of when he appeared to over 500 people. I think this was that moment or this moment when Jesus appeared to 500 people, what we know as the Great Commission. Now, he's alive, he's now appeared. Look what it says in Matthew 28, verse 16. It says this, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But I love this. I love the honesty of the gospel writers. But some were doubtful. And I think that's the reality of some in this room right now. I think some in this room right now, I'm telling you that following Jesus makes you better at life. Following Jesus, you know, makes your life better. And I think some in this room are going, yeah, right. Preacher talk. You know, this guy, he gets, this is what he does. He's supposed to convince us that this, and, and he makes all these big declarations on, you know, what it looks like to follow Jesus, and he's a little convincing, but uh-uh, I have my doubts. I have my doubts. I, I get it, I get it. And, and, and Jesus, I mean, Jesus is, has now appeared. They saw him alive. And he's now walking up to them after they knew that he died on a cross, after they knew that he was buried in a tomb, and now with their own eyes have, are seeing him, and they still, some were doubtful. Look at this, this is verse 18. And Jesus, I love Jesus, this is the grace of Jesus. And Jesus came up and spoke to them. I love Jesus. He's like, I know you're doubting. I can sense it. I'm God. I'm the, I know you're doubting. And I can, so I'm just going to walk up a little closer to you. And I'm sure, you know, the section of doubters, you know, he's like, I'm going to just sort of peer a little. I'm going to just get a little inch, a little closer to you as a doubter. And that's just because I want you to get a good look. I want you to maybe see as I'm talking with my hands. I don't know if Jesus did that, but I do that, you know. That's why I hold my Bible, keep my hands out of control, you know. Just trying to. I want you to see the holes in my hands. They didn't wear cool kicks like me, but they had wore sandals, and you could see the holes in his feet. You guys are laughing at me because of my cool kicks. No, You can see the holes in my feet. You can see the holes in my hands. And I know you're doubting. I get it. I get it. 
Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. You know why you should consider listening to Jesus? Because he has all the authority. You know why you should consider coming back for the next five weeks? Because Jesus has all the authority. You know why, you know, you'll find out one day that even though you're rich and even though you're young and even though you're in charge, that there's still something missing in your life, you should still come back because he has all the authority. That nothing in this life, nothing in this world will offer you anything that Jesus can offer you. Why? Because following Jesus just makes you better at life and it makes your life life better if you apply his words. Listen to him. Why should we listen to him? Because he has all the authority. He has all the authority. He has all the authority over disease. He has all the authority over sickness. He has all the authority over deformity. I love the story in the gospel of Jesus who, whose friends, they brought uh, their friend to Jesus and, and he was a paralytic, which means he was crippled and he was crippled from birth and never able to walk. And, and he brings, they bring their friend to Jesus and they lay their crippled friend in front of Jesus and Jesus says this, your sins are forgiven. Now the religious people that are around there are going, whoa, wait a minute, who gave you the authority to forgive sins. Why do you think you have the authority to forgive sins? His friends are going, wait a minute, that's not why we brought him here. We brought him here not so that you can say his sins are forgiven. We brought him here because we want you to heal him. And Jesus turns to the religious guys and says, hey, listen, fellas, just so that you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm going to tell this man to get up and walk for the first time in his life. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus said to the man, I want you to get up and I want you to pick up your mat and I want you to go home. And he did for the first time in his life just so that he can show everybody that he has the authority over deformity. He has the authority over disease. He has the authority over sickness. He has the authority over anything in life. And he will tell you, and most importantly, he has the authority to forgive Forgive your sins. And, and if he never, this is so important. I need you to listen, 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 listen. If he never healed this man, he did a greater miracle for him by forgiving his sins. If this man stayed on the stretcher, are you listening to me? If he stayed on the stretcher the rest of his life, he still Jesus was still worthy of his praise because his greatest need was wiped away. His need was not to walk again. That was only proof or a sign of evidence of the authority that Jesus has over sin. If he's forgiven your sins and you're still a cripple, praise him because he's worthy of that praise. One day you'll step into a place called eternity and you will walk again. You will no longer have deformity or any other ailment that ails you in this life. He may, he may, Never, come on, 
this is Christianity 301, so stay with me. He may never heal you, but if he's forgiven you, he's done the work that you need. Amen. There was a storm. Oh, the disciples were on a boat. They were fishermen. They were used to being on a boat. They, under, they, they got being on a boat. They understood what it looked like to sail across the sea and to hang out on a boat. And now there's the storm and they're going, where's Jesus at? There's a storm coming. They're afraid. They're fishermen. That means this is a serious storm. This is a serious storm. And they're going, where's Jesus at? And one of them's going, he's sleeping. He's sleeping. He's, yeah, he's sleeping. He's sleeping on the bottom of the boat. He's sleeping. And they're like, does he, does he not know that we're going to die here? There's a storm coming in. I mean, they're fishermen for crying out loud. They should know that they should know how to handle storms, don't you think? But this must have been a big storm. One of them yells out to Jesus, probably Peter. We don't know. Peter's so mad right now in heaven. He's like, it wasn't me. It was Thomas. One of them yells out to Jesus, Jesus, wake up! We're gonna die! There's a storm coming in and we're stuck in the middle of the sea! Jesus is like, what? You know how you are when we, you wake up, what? What's going on? He knew exactly what was going on, by the way. He wakes up, comes to the top, looks at the storm, said, peace, be still. He has all the authority. He has all the authority. The winds, the rains, the storms, the hurricanes. Oh, the storms of your life? You know who has all the authority over that? He does. He does. This widow lost her son. She lost her husband at some point. Now, for some reason or another, we don't really know why, but her son is now dead. Jesus and the disciples are walking into a city called Nain, and as they walk in, Jesus sees this woman who's a widow, who's now in, there's now a funeral procession happening in the city of Nain. They're carrying the body of this son, this child that this woman has. She's already, like I said, lost her husband. Now she's doing the funeral of her son and they're walking through this funeral procession. Jesus sees the woman, has compassion for the woman and walks over to the funeral procession and puts his hand on the casket of the boy and he stops the funeral procession. Now, who would do that, by the way? <laughs> and Jesus grabs a hold of the casket and says to the young man, get up. The story says that the young man, I love the, the honesty of the Bible, that the young man gets up and he's still speaking. Who knows what he was saying? Hey, mom, you remember when we went to the grocery store and maybe he was just picking up the conversation of when he died in that moment. Who knows what he was saying, but he got up and he spoke and he's now alive. 
Two sisters lost their brother. Jesus, come and he's sick, he's sick, come. And Jesus is like, no, I'm gonna hang out here for a while. And, and the disciples are going, man, we should really get there. He's sick, he's not really doing well. And, and then after a while, they get word that he's, he's dead. And then Jesus says, no, he's not really dead, he's asleep. And they get there and, he, 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 and the disciples are going, listen, I don't know if Jesus knows the difference between being asleep and being dead. I'm not really sure if he gets that, really, that concept. But in Jesus's mind frame, in Jesus's understanding, listen, sleeping in the, in the gospel and sleeping in the New Testament is synonymous with death because it's just temporary. And Jesus walks up to the sisters and they're crying. You should have came sooner. You should have been here sooner. And Jesus is crying with them. He weeps with them. He understands their emotion. He understands what they're feeling. And he says, let's go. We're going to the tomb. And, and Jesus said, hey, I want you to remove the stone. And, the, and one of the sisters is going, listen, he's been dead for almost four days. He's going to stink. He's going to start stinking. And, and I love the, just the honesty of the account of what happened. And Jesus says, no, 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 open up the tomb. And they open up the tomb and Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus sits up and he's all wrapped in grave clothes because that's what they did. They wrapped him in grave clothes and they, you know, they put oils and spices on them, you know, to sort of eliminate some of the stench a little bit and the preparation of the, of the body. And Jesus says to his disciples, go and unwrap him. And disciples go in and start unwrapping Lazarus and he walks out of the tomb. Jesus has authority over death Amen. and the grave Amen. and the storms and the sicknesses and the diseases. He has all the authority. Oh, by the way, Jesus himself laid himself down on a cross. Did, I, did you, know, you know this story? Jesus himself laid himself down on a Roman cross, cru allowed himself to be crucified because of the will of his father. They placed him in a tomb, and on the third day that Jesus predicted that he would, he rose from the grave. He conquered the grave, and he stole the keys of death and of hell for all of mankind to put their faith in him and their trust in him so that they can have eternal life, so that they pass over death, so that they can know that death is a doorway into eternal life where he is, where he has prepared a place for you. He has all the authority on earth and in heaven. Amen. He has all the authority. Paul wrote it this way in Colossians 1. He says it this way. For he rescued us from the domain. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. 
Jesus is not interested in, in being your little participation award kind of a God. He's not interested in just being one of many other things in which you participate in. Jesus is not interested in a participation medal. He's not saying, yeah, I make Jesus in my life, part of my life. I make, you know, my relationship a part of my life. I make my job a part of my life. I make my physical enhancement a part of my life. I make my next purchase a part of my life. Oh, and by the way, I do make Jesus or church as a part of my life. No, no, no. Jesus says, I want to be not just another participation thing that you do. I want to be first place in everything. He wants to be first place, not tied with your relationship, not tied with your job, not in tied with, you know, some, you know, physical thing. No, he wants to have first place. He should. He has all the authority. He has all the authority. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's a reason why you should listen to him, because he has all the authority. He says in verse 19 of Matthew 28, he says, go, go. That word go is, is almost like described this way. As you're going, or in your going, or as you go about your life. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, I won't spend a whole lot of time on this, but this is ultimately what we're to be. We're to be disciples. That phrase, make disciples, is the, the phrase, the idea of believing and learning. Believing and learning. Remember we talked about in don't be a Christian, be a disciple. I don't know if you were here for that. Don't be a Christian, be a disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a student. A disciple is a pupil. Don't be a Christian. Be a disciple. And that's what disciple is. Believing, it's trusting God. It's learning. It's the idea of trust and obey. Trust and obey. Remember that, kid, that song when you were a kid? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust. That's it. Took you a while to come along. We're like, I don't, know what, I don't know what key that is in. I don't know what tone you're singing in. But that's the idea. It's the idea of trusting and obeying. It's about, I'm a disciple. And this disciple is, hey, whatever you say, Master Jesus, whatever you say, I'm just your, I'm just your student. I'm just learning from you. Whatever you say, I will do. And that's what God said from heaven. He said, listen to him. Why? Because you're a disciple. It's about believing and then learning. Why? Because following Jesus makes your life better. And following Jesus makes you better at life. That's why. Following Jesus makes your life better. Makes you better at life. It's about trusting and obeying. He says this in John 8. He says, he's listening, doesn't it? So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, 
If you continue, if you listen to what I have to say, if you listen to what I'm telling you, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You'll know that you're a disciple because you're continuing in his word. You're following what he says. And you will know, and I love this, and you will know, and you've heard this before, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Following Jesus makes your life better. Makes you better at life. Now, he goes on and says this. Here's the entry level following Jesus. This is, a, this is a, you trusted Jesus, now it's time to obey. You've believed in Jesus, now you're learning. And this is the entry level of obedience to Jesus. And here's what it says, verse 19. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, listen, listen. Here's what you need to understand. You need to understand that when you put your faith in Jesus, the first step of obedience is to get baptized. Amen. That's the first. It's the, it's the I, I, don't, I don't mean to say this in any other way to make people feel bad. But listen, this is entry level following Jesus stuff. This was so closely associated when the church began that some think that baptism is even essential for salvation, that baptism is necessary in order for your salvation to be complete, even though in other, many other references in Scripture, baptism is not essential to salvation. And when he says baptize them, it means immerse them or dunk them. That's literally what it means. Immerse them or dunk them. It's a, it affirms the message. When Jesus was baptized, John the Baptist baptized him. And you know what John the Baptist's message was? Turn from your sin. Repent. Come back to God. And then he points to Jesus and says, he's the lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. The, the, Jesus got baptized. Why? Because he was affirming the message of John the Baptist, that he was the lamb of God. And not only that, but it identifies you with the messenger. It identifies you with the messenger, meaning this, that when Jesus was baptized, he was baptized in the Father as the Son of the, and the Holy Spirit. He was being identifying with the messenger. When you're baptized, you're affirming the message that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and then rose from the grave. You're identifying with the messenger in that way. You're saying that my life is, is in, the, uh, in the, the hope of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Quickly, let me just show you this this way, okay? You, maybe you've seen this before. This is you, okay? Yep. You, see you, see you, okay? Here's what you do. You get baptized, and you get saved, and the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, see the Holy Spirit, okay? Holy Spirit comes in you, right? Yep. So far, so good, okay? But you're also, you Holy Spirit in you, you're also in Christ. You're also in Christ, okay? So there's you in here. Holy Spirit is in you. You're in Christ. You see this? You see this? You see this? But also, 
the Father, Jesus is in the Father. Now, somewhere in here is you, but the Holy Spirit is in you, and you're in Christ Jesus, and Jesus is in God the Father. And so when you get baptized, this is what you're declaring. This is what you're identifying yourself with. You're identifying yourself with the fact that he is the Father, he's the, God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in you, you're the temple, and as you are in Christ, that you're secure in Christ, and Christ is in the Father, the Creator, the Heavenly Father, who hears you, who sees you, who you'll stand before one day, that this is where you're placed in. That's where you're placed in. And so when you get baptized, it's an entry-level obedient place. It's a, yeah, I believe that. I believe that the Spirit of God lives in me. And I believe that I'm in Christ and Christ is in the Father. And as a result of that, I'm gonna be obedient to the Scriptures. And the entry level of obedience to the Scriptures is I'm just gonna get baptized. By immersion, I'm going to get bad. I'm going to get dunked. Did you know, did you know that many Jews, many Jews prior to them getting baptized when they put their faith in Christ were already baptized at one point in their life? They already got baptized. That baptism was a part of the law of, of, a clean, of cleansing themselves. So many of them already were baptized. But you know what they did? They got baptized again. They got baptized in the, again because it was, it was different. Because it was Jesus now going, hey, I have all the authority. I have all the authority. And you're going to identify with me, the messenger. You're going to identify with me. And this is just basic. It's basic. And then he says this, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. He didn't say, hey, teach them about the Ten Commandments. He didn't say, oh, teach them about, you know, all of the Old Testament. No. He said, hey, teach them to observe all that I commanded He says, I, you know how you'll know, you know how you'll know that you're a disciple because you'll know that you're a disciple because you're just in my word. You're learning from me. You're, you're learning about who I am. You're learning what I expect, not what anything else, you know, expects out of the Bible, but what Jesus expects for you out of the Bible. And Jesus says, listen, if you can do these five things, if you can just learn these five things, they are a culmination. They hang on everything else in the Bible just these five things. Oh, they're less complicated, but they're more demanding. And he ends his commission by saying this, and I think this is, these six words are the most amazing six words that you can hear. I hope you see them. He says, and lo, I am, and then with you always. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know why you're going to be able to do these five things? You know why you're going to be able to do these five commandments that Jesus gave? Because lo, which means 
listen, or me, which means pay attention, which means I'm with you. I'm gonna be like, like get, look at me. That's what he's saying. Look at me. I am with you always. You don't have to go through these alone. You don't have to try to do these things. I know they're less complicated, but more demanding. Listen, you need to know that I am with you always. And I highlighted I am. You know why I highlighted I am? Because when Moses asked God Almighty and said, who should I tell them that sent me to deliver this this insurmountable task. Who should I tell them that sent me to deliver your people out of captivity of Egypt? Who should I tell them? And and God's answer was this. Tell them I am who I am is sending you. In other words, tell them that God, the existing one, the self-existing one is sending you. In other words, tell them that I am God, the only God who exists. And the only reason, this is important, the only reason why you exist is because of me. And the only reason why you'll continue to exist is because of me. And if I choose to, you won't exist anymore. What a message, huh? Hey, Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all of the world, you exist because of the Almighty. Hey, Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth, says you will not exist anymore unless you humble yourself before the one who has all the authority. And Jesus says, lo, I am. I am. I am with you always. I am with you always. The one who calms the storm is with you always. The one who heals the blind and restores sight to the blind is with you always. The one who allows the cripple to walk is with you always. The one who brings the dead back to life is with you always. The one who turned water into wine is with you always. The one who spoke the galaxies into existence is with you always. The one who hung the stars and the sun and the, and the, and the painted the sky blue and cut the Grand Canyon, who brought about the mountains, who laid the sea, who brought about trees in the forest is with you always. The one who put breath in your lungs is with you always. The one who restores, the one who redeems, the one who makes whole, the one who brings things that are broken back together again. The one who says, listen, I know that you're struggling with this addiction, but I can bring about recovery and healing in your life is with you always. The one who says this marriage is over. The one who says, I don't think I can go through another day. God says, I can bring it back together because I am the great I am. That's who I am. And he's with you always. The one who feels lonely, he can find companionship for because he's the great I am. I I can go on and on and on, but I just want you to know that you're not alone here. You're not alone here.
And you should, you should listen to him. You should listen. So, disciple, I hope you're going to listen for the next few weeks. I hope you listen. And I think you should. Why? Because following Jesus makes your life better. And it makes you better at life. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have some people join the church. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. So let's pray, and we'll do that. Father, thanks so much for the day. Thanks for the time. Thanks for each one. I pray, Lord, that you'll just um, bring each one back, understanding that we should listen to you. Why? Because you have all the authority. And as disciples who believed in you and are learning from you, we should want to learn. We want to hear and what you have to say because you tell us that what you teach, everything that you've commanded us that we should, we should embrace and follow because it just makes our life better, makes us better at life. God, I just ask for your, um, just the courage to do that, the, even though it's less complicated. It's more demanding. But we know that you are the great I am. And you're with us always. I pray, Lord, that we don't turn to any other thing. We don't go to run to any other thing other than you. Even if we're rich or young or a ruler, that there's still something that was missing. And the only thing that can fill that void in our life is you. Is you. And so we want to follow you. We want to follow you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.